0: This podcast is sponsored by Mental Health Declassified. MHD is a nonprofit organization that aims to create safe spaces within communities to break the stigma surrounding mental health and wellness. With the intent to recognize and highlight the connection between real-life experiences and mental health through storytelling, they are advocating to bridge the gap between communities and accessible resources. Check out the link in my episode notes to learn more about Mental Health Declassified. Hey, welcome to The Revolutionized Mind, a platform about all things mental health. I'm your host, Angelica Galuzzo, and on this show, we use real stories and eye-opening conversations to make you feel less alone and a little more optimistic about what's ahead of you. Come on a journey with me. Bring your most authentic self and let's revolutionize the mind. Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 75 of The Revolutionized Mind. Wow, that is a big number. Thank you so much for being here. I'm honestly pretty jacked up right now. The last few episodes that I've recorded over the last couple weeks have just been phenomenal. I am so, so happy with the guests that have come on and the messages that they've had to share. And I'm just really excited to release them over the next month or so. And I'm just feeling good. A few of my TikToks have done really well this last week. There's a lot of people fighting in the comments. It's all good. Things are going swell. But on that note, this episode today is honestly one of my favorite interviews that I've ever recorded for this podcast. After I listened to it back and was doing some editing, I realized how much value there was in this conversation that is rarely ever acknowledged when it comes to the topic of mental health advocacy and suicide prevention and research. Our guest, Sam, is such an amazing speaker who really comes at you from a place of passion and knowledge and care to really help people with what he's doing. There are a lot of things that he said in this interview that I can relate to and then things that I've never heard of and I just think this conversation is so incredibly important and we talk about a variety of things but definite trigger warning, we do talk about suicidal ideation, suicidal behaviors, and just some of the numbers behind suicidality, predominantly in the United States. So I encourage you to just take a quick second now to check in with yourself, see if this is content that you can consume right now. If you're not in a good headspace, this can be an episode that you save and come back to when you are. But truly, if you've ever battled suicidal thoughts, There's a lot in this episode that I think will really hit home for you, and I know it's not the same for everyone, but we talk about some things that are really not understood by a lot of people outside of those who have been directly affected. So I'll let you listen to everything Sam has to say. This interview, once again, is absolutely phenomenal, eye-opening, and progressive in so many ways, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. And if you do, feel free to send this too. I think it can benefit lots of mental health advocates out there. Send them this episode. Let me know your thoughts. Reach out to Sam, whatever avenue you want to take. We just really hope that this has a really big impact on people. So thank you so much for joining us here on The Revolutionized Mind. And I hope you enjoy. So today I'm here with Sam Jerry, who is a mental health advocate and the co-founder of Kick It For A Cause, which we're going to learn more about today. But before we get into all the amazing things you do, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So my name is Sam Gerry. Uh, I'm 21 from Woburn, Massachusetts uh, in the United States, which is about 10 miles north of Boston. Um, however, I'm currently a junior at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine. Um I'm also on the golf team there which is cool and that's something that's been really important for me for a really long time um and something that uh is really integral to my story both just me as a person and then kind of my mental health journey um but kind of as you alluded to most people know me uh for my work in the space of suicide prevention and also in mental health advocacy as well
0: Nice fellow student athlete welcome <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have a lot of unique experiences that we can relate to on that regard Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so I really want to talk about your mental health advocacy journey, because I know you've been in this space for some time. So can you tell us like how you got started, what that's looked like for you over the years?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So fortunately, unfortunately, um, my mental health advocacy journey really started as a result of my own personal experience kind of going back to this idea of me playing golf back when I was in eighth grade, kind of making the turn into my freshman year of high school. um, I was really, really into golf, admittedly more then than I am now. And I remember waking up one morning and feeling just kind of different, Um, you know, I wasn't as passionate about the game as I, as I had previously been. And at first, I had assumed it was burnout, and that kind of made sense. Um, you know, I was playing every second of every day, and every moment that I wasn't playing, I was thinking about the game in some capacity. So um, it all kind of seemed to add up, and uh, I decided that I was going to try to let it simmer. Um, unfortunately that did not work and it really kind of blew up in my face and turned into pretty intense suicidality. Um, and at that point that was when I kind of realized, okay, maybe this isn't burnout. This is something more serious. Um, fortunately I was able to get help from my parents and a a licensed professional. But, um, after that time, after seeing a therapist for a while, I, I didn't really do too much with my story. Um, It wasn't until my sophomore year until um, a fundraising campaign opportunity was presented to me, actually through one of the golf organizations that I played for called the uh, American Junior Golf Association or AJGA. And with that fundraising opportunity, um, I supported the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is, I believe, the top uh, suicide prevention nonprofit in the country and i also decided to share my story for the first time and admittedly i was probably a bit too brash and a bit too open um but it kind of blew up in a really really good way and and that was exciting to see um at first it was picked up by um golf media so I was interviewed uh, for Golf Digest, which is one of the top golf magazines in the world, and was interviewed by NBC's uh, Golf Channel, which was really, really exciting. But it wasn't until a couple of a couple of months or a couple of years after that until I was really kind of embraced by the mental health world more broadly, or um, not necessarily, I think maybe "embrace" is the wrong word, but um, before I really decided to pursue pursue that side of things. Um, at first, I kind of enjoyed being in this bubble of golf, and it wasn't until um, you know, sometime after that, I really decided to break out of that bubble and and pursue mental health more broadly. So that's, um, that was what kickstarted the advocacy journey. And I've been so incredibly fortunate to have so many opportunities to do, um, you know, different podcast interviews, TV interviews, um, news articles, all that good stuff. Um, as you alluded to earlier, um, in 2019, I started a charity kickball tournament called Kick It with a buddy of mine from high school His name's Noah Dollywall, which we've now turned into a nonprofit. Um, I've also been really fortunate to be able to work closely with uh, organizations such as NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, the AFSP. And also, I was recently just honored by Mental Health America as the recipient of the 2022 Empower Award, which was really, really cool and really special to be able to um, accept that and give a speech in in Washington, D.C., um, while I'm still really heavily involved with mental health advocacy now, um, admittedly, I'm much more into research, um, which I would be happy to, to touch on a bit later. So um, admittedly, making a bit of a step out of advocacy and into research, I guess, uh, you know, they're, they're so intertwined to where I would never really be leaving advocacy entirely. But um, definitely my priorities have switched up a bit.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that and it's awesome to see all your success and I like how you started that with fortunately and unfortunately because that is the case for a lot of people that it starts with that poor mental health experience that leads you into like finding this passion for sharing your story helping others so it's good that you can kind of look at it from that positive side and that you've been able to use it for so many great things. What was that experience like when you actually like first shared your story? Was it online? Did you receive support? Was there hesitation? What was that like?
1: yeah admittedly at first it was it was pretty terrifying um I think largely because i was I was really jumping into an unknown um To that point, I had never seen anyone share their story in the way that I had, or really shared their story, period. Um, You know, I never had any formalized mental health education throughout school. So this was really kind of a first for me. Um, And I was really, really, really lucky to have a community that really embraced me um, in Woburn, which, as I mentioned before, is where I'm from. Um, You know, my friends, family friends, other supporters um, were just so incredibly gracious and so incredibly kind and so supportive. Um, both uh, monetarily as far as the fundraiser went, I think I raised a thousand dollars in three or four hours, which was really really cool um i don't I still don't think I've done that well since um as far as fundraising goes but but even more importantly just showing that people do care um and that was something that i I wasn't sure if that was going to exist um and it and it did so while at first it was really really scary um the initial support and kind of outflowing of, of love from people was was really special and um, really kind of motivated me to to do more and pursue this more seriously.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that's always tough with like first coming out and sharing it because you have like self stigma, you're scared of like other people's stigma towards you. So you kind of just have to internally accept it and go all in. So that's awesome that you did have that support. And you'll have to send me some of those articles and other things you've done. I'll include it in the episode notes here so other people can follow up on that. Um, So like within that advocacy journey, have there been any considerable challenges for you, whether personally or interpersonally?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh gosh, there are so many challenges. (laughs) Um, I think first and foremost, as far as um, when it comes to working with other people, I think a lot of times being young, um, people at the time didn't take me as seriously as I would have hoped. But they still treated me with with plenty of respect, and and at the end of the day, they did listen to what um, I had to say. And I think, admittedly, privilege definitely played into it as a um, cisgender, straight, white guy, um, and that's something that I, I think about a lot. And as mentioned, while I while I wish that people took me more seriously from the jump, I've I've been fortunate uh, in that people have have given me that respect. Um, Admittedly, too, in the space of suicide prevention as a whole, um, it can really be a kick in the gut um, to see suicide rates rise so consistently. Um, while we did see a decrease, a very slight decrease in 2020, and I think in 2020. 20- uh, 2019 as well. Um, actually, preliminary data just came out a couple of days ago showing that um, suicide rates went up uh, by 4% in 2021. And, and this is in the United States. Um, and it's really, really easy to lose hope. And, and kind of interpersonally, um, I find myself really questioning whether or not I want to be doing this work, um, because it it really does hurt sometimes. Um, You know, seeing the statistics, you know, putting so much of our heart and souls into this stuff and and seeing no return can, can really beat you up over time. And admittedly, I haven't even been in this space for that long. I've only been in it for four or five years now. Um, but it, it really hurts and it really gets to you sometimes. Um, and kind of personally, I'm really bad at practicing what I preach. I don't do it so much anymore. But um, back a couple of years ago or back a couple of months ago, really being good about emphasizing practicing self-care and um, taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. And then I kind of stepped back and realized, like, I just don't do that. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. It just was because I wasn't prioritizing it. Um, And that kind of plays into this idea of me, like, questioning whether I want to be doing this because I just felt really guilty about not being able to live up to those expectations, not being able to. Like I said before, practice what I preach and um implement what I'm sharing into my own life. So yeah, plenty of challenges. It's it's not easy and it hasn't been getting any easier, but um, but it's been a, a hell of a ride and I, I I enjoy almost every second of it.
0: Yeah, I can relate to most of what you said actually. It's hard to be in this space. It's vulnerable, it's a lot when you're seeing the statistics as well. That's hard to be like, Why am I putting so much into this when, like you said, we're not seeing much return. So I think with the topic of suicide as well, it's difficult because you want to normalize those feelings. You want to try to support people going through it. But then when you see those numbers, it's like a weird, you're not supporting it, obviously, but like, you know what I mean? There's just that weird middle ground where people are like, what are you really saying about it? Um, So it's tough. And I like the self-care piece because I find myself doing that too. I'll just be like doing bad habits or not taking care of myself and then be like, Who am I to tell all these people, like, go do these things, and then I'm not doing what I say. Um, So that can be tricky as well, just because life in itself is obviously really, really hard. Um, And to keep up with your mental health is a challenge, especially as things are constantly coming and going all around you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I really like that that phrase I got there. And you're we're kind of stuck in a tough middle place where, um, you know, unfortunately rates are going up. We're not practicing what we preach. Um, obviously that's maybe something that not a lot of people know, but um, you know, there have been people who have reached out to me and said, "Oh, you know, why are you doing this? Um, why are you emphasizing all this stuff if the rates are going up? Uh clearly what we're doing is not working." And um it, it can be really, really frustrating and I agree with them wholeheartedly. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's a it's a really tough middle place to be in sometimes and it's hard to work through that. It like I said, it's really easy to lose hope and it's it's really easy to lose sight of of the objective. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's it's most certainly something that's that's worth pursuing and something that i think we will be able to do better at um i definitely don't believe that we'll ever be able to get to a point of zero suicide um i think just because of the social nature of suicide but i i do think we can do better and it's within grasp we just need to make some some large scale changes
0: absolutely um so expanding on that a little bit i know suicide prevention is your main focus in your Instagram bio. Um, So what does that term actually mean to you? And what are some things that you think we could be doing better in this regard?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as mentioned previously, with my own experience, suicide prevention for me is personal. Um, the, The things that I have felt or just experiencing suicidality personally, really changes your perspective on on the idea of suicide prevention as a whole. And really, for me, I knew as soon as I was coming out of that initial phase of suicidality that this is something that I wanted to pursue personally. Um, And I think that, you know, there are so many things that we can do better um, in this space, but I think there are two that really stick out to me. Um, One that's on a larger scale and one that's on a smaller scale. Um, On a larger scale, I think means reduction is huge. And what means reduction means is essentially just removing um, means of ending one's life so in the United States here, um, 60% of all gun deaths in the United States are suicides, um, which is really surprising considering how much of the gun violence discussion um, revolves around homicides and mass shootings. And obviously, while all of those are incredibly important and cannot be ignored, it's really fascinating. Um, fascinating is a funny word to use there, but fascinating to see how much firearm suicide gets neglected, um, and kind of to that point as well. Not necessarily with firearms, but um, actually a recent study just featured by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention highlighted how banning pesticides um, in Taiwan actually decreased suicide. Um, so the kind of the the take home point here is that finding a way in which we are able to take guns out of vulnerable individuals' hands. And I am not in no way proposing that uh, we enact some sort of Total gun ban. I am not in the space of public policy. I don't know enough on that end to to make a definitive comment on it. But whether it be um, safe storage, that's something that's been a, a big target for suicide prevention initiatives lately, um, or something of the sort. You know, background checks, that kind of stuff. Um, really making sure that individuals who are at risk for suicide do not have access to a gun. Um, I think that's something. Probably, if there's one thing that would um, be able to decrease suicides the most. I truly think it will be that. Um, and a lot of people bring up the point, and um, very understandably so, that it, you know if you ban firearms or if you get rid of firearms, um, these individuals will just find another method. Um, they'll find another way of, of uh, ending their own lives. And interestingly enough, um, the research shows that this is not true. Um, when you take away, especially uh, or specifically in the case of firearms, people are not more likely to um, seek some other form or some other method of, of killing themselves, which is really fascinating and, and really encouraging, showing that, um, you know, by banning these, or not necessarily banning, but reducing these methods amongst those individuals, we could actually make a dent from this. The problem is there's no general consensus about what should be done about the current um, firearm death epidemic, for lack of a better term. And um, it's so incredibly political that, you know, where do we even begin? Um, on a smaller scale, I think one thing that we oftentimes tend to overlook is that we do a really bad job when it comes to treating individuals with suicidal thoughts like they're human. Um, we oftentimes suicide and suicidality is automatically associated with crisis. Um, they hear that someone's suicidal and we're like, oh, we have to send them to an inpatient or outpatient hospitalization program um, when this n- isn't necessarily always the case. I think in a lot of cases, absolutely. Um, But at the very least, we should be at least slowing down, having a conversation with these individuals, and then discussing the next steps. Um, And the reason why this is so kind of close to me is I I have experienced this personally. Um, I remember back in 2020, um, just before the pandemic, so um, the pandemic didn't play into any of this, but I shared that I was suicidal with my family and guidance counselors at school. Um, And I remember it, it was just chaos. Um, I remember really any, um, any autonomy that I, I had beforehand was pretty much stripped for me. Um, You know, I, I wasn't able to drive um, to work or anything like that. Um, I was immediately uh, sent to be placed into an outpatient hospitalization program, which I ultimately went to. Um, I w- was actually pulled out of my classes, and I had to do all of my work for a good week, week and a half in um, in the guidance counselor's office. Pretty much stripped of all autonomy that I had, and I didn't have any input as far as my treatment went. Um, and that was something that was really scary, and it really, it really pissed me off. And if anything, it made my suicidality worse than better. Um, so really just making sure that, you know, we're we're treating these people like they're human. We're we're giving them um, we're giving them the opportunity to choose their treatment, um, and also really just allowing them. To live their lives, while there are certainly cases, and and there are many cases of or instances of suicidal individuals being in an immediate crisis, um, there are also many that are not. And I think it's a you know it it can get really really tricky. There's a lot of gray area there, and where do you draw that line? And um, what if someone harms themselves if we were to give them more autonomy? You know, it's a it's a really really complicated um, complicated. Definitely not a one size fits all answer uh, but it's something that really should be considered and i think something that we've been neglecting for a very long time
0: i absolutely love your answer both of them um for speaking to the second one i think that is something that a lot of people struggle with and i think the definition between like passive suicidal ideation and active suicidal ideation is something that a lot of people outside of this space don't understand um So just as a brief definition, like passive is when you may have suicidal thoughts or tendencies, but you're not acting on them. You don't have a plan in place, but you're still having those thoughts uh, where active is actually, you are acting on those thoughts, whether that's self-harming or using methods to actually harm yourself. Um, So the passive piece is, I think, much more common. um, And that's where that gray area comes in, because how much do you really let slide before you take action? When is it actually deemed a crisis? Um so I really appreciate you speaking to that because I think for me personally a lot, most of it has been passive in the past it was active um but even still to this day I will struggle with passive thoughts and it doesn't mean I'm in crisis it doesn't mean I need to be shipped off to a hospital but sometimes I just need to say to someone like I'm having these thoughts not doing the best like I just need support isolation whatever it is that I feel in that moment um but actually being able to speak about those thoughts and not fear like The negative repercussions that come with it when you often do speak about that. So I really like that part. Um, And then the first part about the firearms is really interesting because you don't often hear about that in this suicide conversation. And I think it is a little bit different here in Canada compared to the States um, as guns are not legal here to own. Um, But I like the stats as well to kind of back up what you're saying. And that is, again, fascinating is a weird word, but Just wild to think of how many suicides are actually related to owning a gun or having access to a gun and how much it can actually be reduced if measures were put in place. Um, So I think just like hopefully putting this out on my platform, continuously talking about it, more people will become aware of these things and hopefully we'll get to those policy makers to make positive changes. Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, um, I know you're currently working as a research assistant, studying some really interesting things. Can you describe what you're studying and how it relates to the topic of mental health and suicide?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been really fortunate to be able to work on a couple of research projects over the past year. Um, the first one, which is at Bates, uh, like I mentioned, where I go to school, um, I was able to work on a summer research fellowship um, with Dr. Yoon Garrison to really better understand the ways in which multilingual individuals regulate their emotions throughout the therapeutic process. Um, and one really interesting finding through our literature research um, is that these individuals oftentimes regulate their emotions through language switching. It's also called code switching. Um, and this quite literally means people switching from their primary language to a secondary language or vice versa. Um, There are actually many, many reasons why individuals do this. Um, But one that I find particularly fascinating is that individuals may switch their languages in order to create emotional distance from a topic. So primarily, this would be people switching from their primary language to a secondary language that they're not as fluent in, um, because non-fluent language or less fluent language or secondary languages, however you want to put that, have been shown to elicit less emotion from individuals when discussing heavy topics. So um, it's not really eliciting the same amount of emotion that um, that may be present if they were talking in their primary language, which is really, really fascinating. And like I mentioned, it's just one of the many reasons why, why individuals do this. And it happens both consciously and subconsciously. Um, another research project or research projects that I've been working on is that I've been working as a remote research assistant at the Hamilton Lab at Rutgers University under Dr. Jessica Hamilton, um, who has been uh, just an awesome support and awesome kind of advisor for lack of a better term. Um, Essentially, the objectives of the lab are to really better understand how social media use and sleep patterns affect teen mental health, including suicidal thinking and behaviors, um, which is really, really cool and re- really, really applicable these days, especially with um, with COVID impacting how much teens are using social media and additionally um, what times they're going to bed and what times they're waking up. Um, one thing that's particularly fascinating to me about this is um, the role of social media. And a lot of times we hear about the negatives of social media, how you know, comparison with unrealistic standards, um, contributes to poor mental health, also just doom scrolling and eating up so much time. And these are most certainly true and um, do exist, unfortunately, quite rampantly. But there are also positives of social media, too um a lot of times people don't account for the opportunity to build community or you know do things like this um you know to really share to share information about mental health or suicide prevention um and and really use social media for good so that's been been a really cool experience um two studies that uh we are currently working on to better understand that are the plus 2 study that stands for pathways linking use of social media to teen outcomes where essentially we are giving participants, kind of like a a Fitbit for research, and that's tracking um, their sleep and other activity. Um, And then also they're filling out a couple surveys a day, just sharing their thoughts on, um, on sleep or their mental health. And then we also have a couple of apps on their phone um, tracking activity, which is really fascinating because we get so much data, um, a lot of really, really rich data that we're able to use and study. Uh, and then also another study that we're currently doing is the um, teen social media experiences where we're giving uh, teens a... Not necessarily a long, but we're giving them a survey asking them about different things that they might experience on social media and whether they perceive them to be positive or negative. So, um, yeah, kind of a lot going on in the research space, but but a lot of really interesting work and a a lot of stuff that I'm I'm really really excited to see the outcomes of.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And social media is something that like I'm passionate about too. And I like how you mentioned like the negative and positive sides, because that's another tricky line that is difficult to trot sometimes because you want to use it for good, but then you do get lost in that doom scrolling comparison, just unconsciously it happens. Um, so I'm really interested to see what you find out of this and how it can relate to the topic of mental health. And hopefully like obviously using those research findings to apply it to our lives and maybe giving like suggestions or strategies and how to better use social media, improve sleep, all those good things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, the one really fascinating thing about the work that we're doing at the Hamilton Lab, and one thing that I really appreciate about Dr. Hamilton is that um, she is very conscious about making sure that our research findings are applied in the real world. So currently, um, we're working to reach out to um, different congresspeople or legislators in the state of New Jersey. Recently, two bills were recently passed, um, S-550, which requires that all student IDs have um, have suicide prevention, lifeline resources on there. Um, and then also S2861, which requires mental health curricula throughout high schools. Um, and what we're currently doing is reaching out to those legislators and using our expertise to help them navigate these spaces. Because um, admittedly, you know, legislators are inundated with so much information at once about so many different things they just don't have time to be up to date on the literature. So I really, really appreciate that aspect of the lab and how interdisciplinary it is in that sense. Um, and also kind of lastly, just a shameless plug, um, <laughs> you know, if anyone is interested, especially um, teens are interested in participating in this research, definitely go check out the hamiltonlab.org. Um, I believe we have opportunities coming up soon for um, teen social media experiences study. And then also the 2 study is currently ongoing. So anyone who's interested in that can uh, can certainly apply to be a participant.
0: Perfect. I'll add that link as well in the notes. Um, But I love those two changes, the thing to the student ID and mental health in high school. Oh, my God, steps in the right direction. That's incredible. (laughs) Um, So wrapping up, I wanted to give you space to share about Kick It for a Cause. Um, I was looking it up a little bit. It's awesome what you've been able to accomplish so far. Um, So can you just tell us what it is, what you've done in the past and what some of your goals are for this nonprofit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Kick It is a charity kickball tournament turned nonprofit organization. Um, I started it with a buddy of mine from high school. His name's Noah Dollywall. Um, He's currently at Boston College. I think I mentioned we started uh, when we were seniors in high school. So this is kind of our baby. Um, And really the objective of Kick It is to support and promote suicide prevention through sport, um, which is something that's a bit different and a bit unique. Um, There are a lot of other different fundraising initiatives a lot of times there are walks. So um, I believe it's the AFSP has out of the darkness walks and things of that sort. Um, But we wanted to change it up a little bit. And we thought that this was really a good fit because both of us are very connected to sports. Um, In high school, Noah played football and he ran track. Um, I played golf throughout high school. And then when we were even younger, we played even more sports. So it's something that's really important to us and something that we've noticed has helped our mental health in the past. So and we found that this was a great way or we thought at the time that this was a great way to support and give back to our community and and we have since found you know 3 years on that it's it's been really really beneficial for both ourselves and the and the community at large which is really really special. Um, but as far as our events go, um, we have our, our annual kickball tournament, which is our kind of our primary fundraiser throughout the year. Um, that tournament is actually held at our um, our former high school, Woburn Memorial High School in Woburn, Mass., um, which is really special to be able to do that at a place that, that means so much to us. Um, and then other things that we've been doing as well include, Um, In 2020, in lieu of the uh, in the tournament, because it was canceled, we started a scholarship um, which supported two graduating seniors with $1,500 scholarships. And we've also made donations to the National Alliance on Mental Illness and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, Lastly, we're also really excited to um, get a new project started with a local nonprofit called Social Capital Inc, where essentially we've donated $5,000 to a project where teens, so um, middle schoolers and high schoolers, will be able to come together as teams with a kind of like an advisor or uh, kind of an overseer of of their plans. Um, And what these teams are able to do is they're able to come up with their own mental health initiatives that they want to see implemented within their communities or within their schools. And then what essentially they'll present those ideas or they'll pitch those ideas to um, a team of judges, which will be to be determined. It'll probably include um, the heads of the nonprofit, so us and SCI, and then hopefully some other um, important stakeholders, such as teachers, administrators, mental health professionals. And the winners of that project will be given um, a stipend to go implement that project within their communities in the greater Boston area, which is really, really cool too. Give teens that opportunity to be able to implement what they want to see into their communities. Um, admittedly, youth voices are off, usually ignored when it comes to implementing different initiatives, especially in the mental health space. So to be able to kind of fight back against that and fight back against the norm is cool. So um, as mentioned, we we donated $5,000 to that this year. So we're really excited to see that um, Get up and running within the next hopefully couple of weeks here, um, but overall throughout all of this, this past the past three years, um, we've raised I, I believe a little over thirty thousand dollars, which is really cool. Um, obviously, compared to some of the bigger nonprofits, it's not a lot of money, um, but it's enough to make a difference, and it's it's really special to be able to give back in that capacity. So yeah, it's it's been a blast, and I'm really excited to see where we'll be able to take it.
0: 30,000 is amazing. What the heck? Celebrate those little wins. Good for you. That's awesome. Um, And I love that initiative, uh, giving youth a space to share what they see in their community is so important because obviously like you and I specifically, we went through our struggles a few years ago and now we're like in this space, but what we knew back then is different than what youth are facing now. Um, So to hear directly from them, see some new challenges that come up for them in this age, which is not too different from ours, but it still um, has its differences. So to just kind of give them space to say, this is what we see as a problem. This is what we would like to see changed Um, and to pitch that, that just like builds a ton of great skills as well. So that's a great project. Good for you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, Well, Sam, this has been incredible. I definitely learned a lot today. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Everything you've done since the beginning of your mental health journey has clearly been very impactful, um, both for yourself and for others that you've shared your story with. So thank you for everything that you do. And I hope you continue getting amazing research.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And I had a blast.
0: Sam, sincerely, thank you so, so much for coming on TRM and for sharing everything that you did today, both your personal story and research statistics. I think they paint such a great but also sad picture of the reality of these statistics and the real world implications that these things really have on people. I think everything you do and... All the passion you put towards suicide prevention, research, advocacy, all of it is so inspiring and something that I know is just going to continue having an impact on people. I don't have too much else to add other than I just hope that some of these things made you think, made you reflect, made you feel seen, validated, whatever you got out of this episode. I really, really hope you all really see the value in it like I do. So again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to send it to a friend, subscribe, leave a rating and a review. You know the deal. It really means a lot to me and helps the show grow. So thank you so much for doing that. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day and I'll be back with another episode next Friday.